All right, welcome to the updated format for the podcast. Sort of fell into the hole I specifically tried to avoid, which was too much preparation, too much post-production. So I'm kind of backing off that and uh, basically just doing the intro track and like 10 minutes of prep with a list of bullet points. Uh, The rest of the show will basically be completely uh, ad hoc based on whatever comes to mind. So there'll always be some news, always be security running through everything as a thread, but could talk about tech trends, ideas I post about on, on the site, random interesting ideas I heard about from somewhere, um, sites you should take a look at or whatever. So priority is basically getting something out almost every week, um, even if it's raw or only three minutes long or whatever. So let's get to it. So uh, first story is um, Kaspersky or Kaspersky um, was hacked. Uh, says it was an almost invisible advanced APT, which I think in their case probably might be true, but it's weird that that's kind of a great defense no matter what happens uh, for any company at this point. Basically, if you just say it was amazing APT, people just kind of nod and pat you on the back and say, yeah, I guess there's nothing you could have done about that. But I think in most cases, most compromises, um, it's not China attacking you with their, their cyber army. It's more like you didn't have an asset list and didn't even know a box existed and therefore it wasn't patched since like 2009 or something. So it's interesting that that's always a defense, but in their case, um, they've been in the media for quite a bit. They've, they're out there. They're very vocal. They're basically, uh, kicking down doors and, and, uh, calling people out. So they might've made themselves a target, uh, for some really hardcore people. Uh, it looks like that's what happened, but never can tell when someone gives the APT defense. Um, a lot more people seem to be talking about basics in their InfoSec programs, which is great. Um, so my friend, uh, Raf Loss, um, or the White Rabbit, I think that's his nickname, but um, he's got a great podcast. And uh, I don't know, a lot of people sort of, uh, I don't know, they like to dislike him, I think, but but they also kind of like him too. I, I'm, I'm not really sure what other people think about him, but I think he has a lot of great thoughts. Um, I think he maybe, um, I don't know, maybe he's hurt himself in the, in years past by with some kind of behaviors, but I, I think he's smart. I think he's got some great thoughts about security and um, he runs a great podcast. Um, it's very organized and it's consistent uh, as far as I can tell. And what he does is interview format. So he brings on some pretty cool people and uh, just talks them through some questions. Um, I was just listening to one earlier today about forensics and incident response. It was great. Um, Anyway, he's been sort of on this uh, kick about uh, security basics. Um, He also had Michael Coates on uh, a little while ago, who's the uh, CSO of Twitter. And uh, basically just talking through like, you know, 
it's not about the tools. It's not about like these advanced techniques or advanced data analysis. It's like, do you know where your assets are? Do you know how to respond to an incident? Like some really core fundamental stuff that I think should really be the center of any security program. Um, but unfortunately, in most cases, it's just not. Uh, so one thing that brings that to mind is uh, I did a post about this uh, tool called uh, Turing Turing Scanner or Turing Analysis for DNS traffic. So one of the first things I do when I go into a, uh, a customer is I want to know where's their list of assets. And I want to know, are you monitoring and blocking malicious DNS requests that go outside that are outbound? So DNS egress traffic. And if the answer is, yeah, we don't really have a list of things. It's kind of a project for next year. Or yes, we have 37 lists of things, um, none of which are very good. That's That tells you how that engagement is going to go. As a pen tester, it tells you you're basically done. Um, you just need to run Nmap and Metasploit and you're pretty much finished. Um, and as someone doing a security assessment, you know you have a lot of work. You have a lot of work to do because they're not going to know where their stuff is. They're going to have patching issues. And when it comes to the DNS thing, it goes back to the whole APT thing. They're, they're talking about advanced persistent threats. They're talking about advanced threats like, oh, we're really worried about these elite hackers. Well, have you even looked at your outbound DNS traffic? Like, you, just looking at that can tell you, and you put it on an average network and just start monitoring outbound DNS, you realize that dozens or hundreds or thousands of hosts are compromised with the malware from two or three years ago. So it's almost like you've got two years of work before you can even start thinking about advanced threats because you're all ate up from all the old stuff. So... Basically asking those two questions, which goes back to security fundamentals, you can kind of find out where anyone is at. Um, now, two completely different answers you can get for that is, oh, absolutely, here's our um, asset list. It's updated, you know, daily or weekly. And, you know, we have probably a 1% or 2% error rate or whatever, but we think it's pretty strong. And I say, well, what about your outbound DNS? Oh, absolutely, we use the following product. We only have one point of egress, and here are the lists that we use for um, intelligence and block lists and D-Shield or Norse or wherever they're getting their stuff from. And uh, if you get those kind of answers, you know, all right, so this is a fairly mature group, at least tactically, um, and you can go from there. But the fundamentals piece... Um, is something that I've been on for a number of years, and it's good to hear a lot of people talking about it, including Raf. Um, so next one is um, China just got accused of hacking the U.S. again, this uh, federal system for uh, basically federal employee information system. Um, and the idea here is that it, Basically, they're trying to gather data for more advanced attacks against um, classified systems. So they're pulling data out of not public systems, but not classified systems either. 
um, they're just kind of gathering. And the consensus here in the security community is that they're basically building a giant database. It's a giant database of uh, U.S. information. I mean, this is a campaign. This is a decades-long permanent campaign against countries, you know, with the U.S. being the most important one. And my personal opinion is that, th I mean, this is on the list for war. And I mean, this is not just, not, not a new idea, but the idea is that you can attack somebody. Let, let's say they decide they want to take Taiwan back or take it in the first place, whatever your position is there. But they're like, yeah, we're going to get Taiwan. And we're like, yeah, we're definitely going to stop you. You're not going to do that. We're going to send some ships. But suddenly our traffic lights don't work and our hospitals shut down and whatever. The internet goes down. Um, and we basically have chaos, mass chaos, while we're trying to wage this war, which is only going to take a couple of days anyway. And um, then they just do the same thing that they've been saying the whole time. They're like, yeah, it wasn't us. Well, we saw it come from your army building, which looks like this on the outside, and you have these people in the army, and here are their packets, and here's their signature on in the malware. He's like, yeah, I, I don't know. It wasn't us. Uh, it's crazy. I mean, th they sit down with Obama, and Obama's like, hey, you need to stop doing this. He's like, that, no idea what you're talking about. No idea whatsoever. It's frustrating. It's maddening to me. Like, just super annoying. Um, but that's what they're doing. They're building a giant database of information about people um, to be able to attack them, right? Um, one thing that's interesting about this is the whole social security number debate. So I was in the military. Social security number was used for everything. You basically, you walk into whatever, you know, get some Motrin, you're filling out 19 forms, all of which have a social security number just written out on the page. Um, like you're signing into the to the mess hall with uh, your last four. Like it's just your identification. And if you look at the actual regulation, you're not allowed to use it for identification. But that's not the case, of course. But what that does is it makes all this data being gathered by the Chinese and others most likely, um, that much more useful because if it's used as an authentication um, component, either identification or um, authentication into, uh, into any sort of system anywhere, then it's just that much worse if they have it. Um, so that's that. Um, so I did my IoT security talk, uh, which was OWASP focused at uh, RSA. Uh, went well, just got my ratings back actually, and it was uh, notably uh, over average. So that's cool. Uh, that was exciting and it was fun to do. I'm gonna be presenting at Black Hat Arsenal this year um, for the SecList project, which is a project uh, I've had for a few years now. Um, I do the project uh, joint with uh, Jason, Jason Haddix, a uh, great friend of mine, who, by the way, want to congratulate on his new position. Kind of sad because he was actually on my team. We were actually working together. 
but um, he took a job that uh, he basically couldn't decline, and I didn't want him to decline with uh, Bug Crowd. So he's the director of technical operations over there, a uh, very small company, and uh, they really need him. And he's the best person, I honestly believe, the best person in the world for the job that they hired him for. And um, really excited for him, very happy for him, and uh, can't wait to see him soon, actually, at EDC. Uh, we're going to be down in Vegas having a good time there next weekend, actually. But, uh, yeah, congrats to Jason on that. Um, a couple other items here. So I'm running iOS 9 and El Capitan on my desktop, um, basically basically because I'm really, really dumb. Um, every single time I get a new beta, and I do beta 1 for the OS or for iOS, or, you know, for the desktop or iOS, I'm like, man, this is the last time. I know I always say this, but this time really is the last time. And then iOS 9 comes out and they're like, yeah, it's got a shiny bobble and this one screen, it's slightly different. I'm like, one screen slightly different? Oh man, I super need that. It's okay if my phone calls don't work. I don't need mail because if one screen's slightly different, that's really going to change my life. So yeah, I installed it. Um, <clears throat> yeah, the phone doesn't work in... Uh, internet or um the alarm clock had a missed uh missed wake up uh, a couple days ago that was fun uh first time in like nine years but um works on the watch though i also have the apple watch i guess i should have made that a bullet um also have that on version two of the uh software beta of course but um actually really enjoying the apple watch and uh the beta has this cool feature if you saw the keynote where you basically lay it on its side while it's on a charger and it becomes an alarm clock, which actually works better than the, the phone right now because the phone doesn't work as that. But um, actually, the beta isn't that bad on the phone. There's a bunch of lag and the battery burns down in like 11 minutes. But um, it, it's a little buggy and a little laggy, but it's not anywhere near as bad as previous betas. That's the only reason I did it because they seem to be getting better each time with regard to the first beta, but it still is kind of dumb to do it immediately. Uh, I would say at least second beta. If you're going to be crazy, at least wait for the second beta, but um, I'm never going to do that. I'll probably just keep doing it. Um, all right, the real internet of things. So this is a post that uh, I did a few weeks back, I guess I'm looking at right now, 5-9. So yeah, May 9th. Uh, so about a month ago. And um, it basically talks about the three components of what I think the real internet of things is going to be. And I, th I think it breaks down to universal demonization, which I've talked about before. Basically each person, each object, each business, each entity is broadcasting their own sort of daemon with uh, basically based on existing protocols, except for it'll be IPv6, but it'll be HTTP, REST, and um, you basically have your read components with your 
data elements about that object, which are being read uh, from things around it, but you also have interaction. It's also an API where you can post to it, right? So for, um, so for a person, you can connect or ping or poke or like or do whatever. Uh, you can send LinkedIn information. You could ask to meet them. You could do whatever. Um, for a business, you can, in a read-only fashion, you could read their data. You could read the menu. You could read the who's, who's waiting, what's showing on the TVs, how warm it is in the building, when they're open, when they're closed, what special events they have, all that kind of stuff. But just like you could do that with humans, you're getting like, where are they born? You know, uh, where are they from? Where where they do uh, high school, college? Uh, where are their favorite likes and books and stuff like that? So that's the read-only stuff. But for like a post in a building or in a business or a restaurant, you can order. You can send your preferences. If there's a climate API, you could submit a temperature increase or a decrease. Um, you can request that you never get ice in your water. You could do all these things. And that brings me to the second point. You won't be doing any of this stuff. If anything, once in a while, you'll whisper under your breath to Siri or Cortana or Google Now. But ultimately, your personal assistant, one of those three, <clears throat> will be doing all of this for you. So as you're walking down the street or sitting in a restaurant, you're consuming thousands and thousands of, of daemons throughout the day. And Siri and Cortana, they're just going and grabbing all this data and bringing it down and organizing it, putting it on your calendar, sending requests for more information, <clears throat> um, telling certain daemons not to track you and not to bother you and not to send you any information. Um, but it's doing it all in your behalf. And then every once in a while, it would be like, yeah, excuse me. Um, so just to let you know, the person next to you in line um, actually went to the same high school, graduated one year later, and also, whatever, is afraid of owls or love, or also has a BMW M3 or um, prefers the color green, whatever, whatever it is, right? So um, that's the idea is everything will be done by the personal assistant and they'll be parsing all this information from universal demonization. The third piece of this is digital reputation. Um, and I'm just gonna read this paragraph. So uh, basically digital reputation will be conveyed for humans through their demons and federated ID. So through a particular identity tied to our real self, our professional skills, job history, buying power or credit worthiness, Will all be continuously updated and validated through a tech layer that works off karma exchanges with other entities. So if you think someone is trustworthy or you like the work they do or you found them hilarious during a dinner party, you'll be able to say this about them in a way that sticks to them and to their daemon for others to see. It'll be possible to hide these comments, but most will be discouraged from doing so by social pressure, which sounds a little scary, but I'm describing what will happen, not what should happen. Um, so the fourth piece, fourth piece is augmented reality. Will enable us to see the world with various filters for quality. So if I want to see only funny people around me, I could tell Siri, show me the funniest people in the room. And four people will light up with a green outline. 
You can do the same for the richest or the tallest or uh, cons who's considered the best looking, although you just see that with your own eyes, um, or the people who grew up in the same city as you, um, or people who like the same books, whatever it is. They, they can become a different um, sort of beacon inside of the regular world in a virtual way. Um, you'll be able to same when doing for the best restaurants or coffee shops when you're walking down an unfamiliar street. So imagine walking down the street and instead of seeing just a line of businesses, you're seeing reds and oranges and a couple of greens. And you're like, I only eat at green ones, right? And everyone can have that same filter on. Um, or you could do the same thing for price. You're like, I only eat at green ones, but I've got the price filter on, which means it's the cheapest. Um, so what this means for humanity, right? So the, the combination of daemons and digital reputation will completely disrupt how work is done. So this is my whole thing of the future of work, um, which I wrote a while back. But instead of antiquated and ineffective interviews, a technical layer powered by matching algorithms will take information about jobs that need to be done and match them to people who are available and qualified to do them. So transportation, household jobs, creative work, mainstream corporate uh, requests, They'll all be staffed on best fit and it'll happen in seconds rather than weeks or months. Unfortunately, there won't be many people involved other than the people coding the algorithms. Um, but that, that's another point. Um, so because some of the objects we interact with will be demonized, we'll be receiving an extraordinary amount of information from the world around us. This information will be used to create full scope life dashboards. So this is another separate concept life dashboard concept, which really is what the business case that the IoT is going to power. Um, so illuminate and guide our behavior with regard to finances, health, social interaction, education, whatever. Personal dashboards will be up on our living room wall showing how the family did that day in food intake, calories burned, stepped, steps walked, karma gained and lost. Heads of household will see how their college savings is going how the family's investments are doing, what if any tweaks should be made to existing strategies. The same will exist for businesses with unified dashboard showing employee morale, cyber risk, public sentiment, logistical efficiency, employee health, and any anomalies that are shooting up or down or whatever. And both of these, all of these dashboards will have a recommendations, uh, recommendations section, right? It'll be like, yeah, because of this data that you're seeing in this amazing data visualization, by the way, like informationisbeautiful.net. It's like a really cool site for data visualizations. Well, it's going to look like that on your wall, whether you're in business or, or at home. It's going to be showing you this data really richly, right? And the recommendations tab is going to be like, tell Sally to like buck up on the vegetables like she's eating way too much whatever um processed meats or whatever um and you know jimmy is not walking nearly enough he's taking public transportation he's had only this many steps in this long um he's gaining weight also and you know um you know college saving has gone down so here are the five things you need to do right now um We've recommended that you buy these groceries. I can purchase them for you. 
um, yes, go ahead and purchase them, that sort of workflow, right? Um, the other piece there, separate from the dashboards, is your daemon being a represent representation of yourself. So be able, be able to pay for things, open doors, get into clubs, gain access to your car, enter your hotel room, open your house's front door, send people money or karma for doing things that you approve of, basically with a word or a gesture. Um, you'll be able to praise or dislike people or things with gestures, which stick to their demons um, as part of their identity. So one thing I have to mention about this is that this requires this really powerful backend, similar to credit, where, you know, like FICO and all those people, like the, the, the control over those numbers is absolutely essential. It's, it's, it's infrastructure for modern society, right? Well, this will be the same. You need to maintain these reputation scores very carefully. And you also have to look at the security implications of how this is going to work. So let, let's say that I can just kind of neg you, um, not in the pickup artist way, uh, but basically I can I can say, uh, you know, super rude, just cut in line, uh, made a racist remark, um, super rude to this old lady or whatever, and I could just make a gesture and throw it to you, and it sticks to your profile, um, and and basically propagate. So the next person who walks by you, their digital assistant reads that daemon and they've got 94 that guy's an asshole tags pinned to their profile. So that allows people to turn on the asshole filter in their virtual reality and see this person light up, you know, like a giant red uh, Christmas tree or whatever. Um, it, they basically look like a total ass. It's bright red or otherwise unattractive. Maybe it looks makes them look like a, a, a troll or something. You, you just know this person is rude. You know they're an asshole. Whatever they don't tip. Whatever the filter is, right? Um. Well, what happens when my buddies and I, especially at some security conference, we decide, hey, see that guy right there? How many of us can neg this guy right now? and completely mark up his profile um, in a way that will have an effect. Like what, what if we all neg him and say, basically he's really unreliable and you should never hire this guy. And I just get a whole bunch of friends together and we get like 120 people together and we do it, right? Well, now we've just gamed the system. We've hacked the system. We've modified the system. So there need to be controls for this type of thing. Um, and these will exist, right? Um, so th that's that's something we need to think about from a security standpoint. Like it, this infrastructure needs to be protected and it needs to be core, right? It can't be some random company who's doing it because um, it, just, it just won't last if it's not defended in the proper way. Um, so the next point here is the world will adjust to you as you move through it. So car seats adjust, even though you've never been in it, lights will dim or change. Entertainment will adjust based on your preferences. Personal assistant will be making those things happen on your behalf, using your identity, which by the way, the identity is going to be like a Google ID or a Facebook ID or a Twitter ID, 
right? It's not going to be some local login. Can't be a local login. Now, down the line, it's probably going to be like a, a California ID or a US ID or a global federation ID, you know, uh, like a Star Trek type ID where it's universal or, or Korea. Korea has a universal national ID that's used for digital access. Um, and that I think is ultimately where it's going to go, but it's going to start with something smaller like open ID or, you know, Facebook or Google or, or Twitter or whatever, whatever's dominant at the time, probably be a few, but that's the whole point of federation is that you can use and interchange different ones as long as you accept them, um, into the, into the ecosystem. But, um, basically your identity is what gives you that access. Um, but it also gives you, this is what's cool right? You have these various tags, right? So one guy can be an asshole. The other guy can be VIP, right? So you can get access to perks and specials and privileged locations based on your reputation, and your karma. So I don't know if you heard of this site. Uh, I forget the name of the site actually, but they, they marketing, they judge it in karma. Um, is it just karma.com or something? I can't remember, but it's some kind of digital karma. It's basically measuring your influence over, uh, oh, clout. Yeah, that's what it is, clout. So they're measuring, measuring your clout or your karma across these various social networks, like how many people are listening to what you say. And they already give out perks for it, but it's not become like in, embedded national infrastructure or you know even digital industry infrastructure it's just kind of a side site right now but they are definitely on to the on to the thing i'm talking about here which is you get perks based on who you are and who you influence right well that's going to transfer out of getting some you know coupon for celery at uh safeway right it's not going to be that or or some massage at some you know resort it's going to be more like you walk up to a club and the door opens for you or it doesn't based on who you are and what tokens and what reputation and who's voted you up in these various areas, what your LinkedIn looks like. And the door will be marked for a certain access level of that type. You know, LinkedIn recommendations above this, LinkedIn reputation score above this, um, credit score above this, income amount, uh, which is validated in a FICO type of way above a certain thing. And you're only allowing certain things, including club doors to know that type of thing. And you just walk right through. And what's scary about this is like the whole class differentiation thing, right? You talk about like the haves and the have nots. Well, this takes a, a intangible thing and turns it into a number and embeds it into a daemon. And then the world literally adjusts based on that. Right? You might go into a restaurant and there, it's hard to get a table. You get a table first. Um, it's hard to get the, the one thing that they're ordering. You get that first. You get seated in a better location. Um, you get the test drive when no one else can get the test drive. You can get into the club when no one else can get into the club. You, know, you get bottle service and other people are standing there holding their drink looking like idiots. Right, All these things sort of just happen. So the idea is that the IoT isn't about smart gadgets or connecting more things to the internet. It basically changes the world from static to dynamic, turning everything into a machine readable and fully interactive object. It enables algorithms to 
continuously optimize the interactions between everyone and everything in the world and make it so that the environment around humans constantly adjusts based on presence, preference, status, and desire. And I close by saying the Internet of Things is not an Internet use case. Quite the opposite. The IoT represents the ultimate platform for human interaction within the physical world. And it will turn the Internet into a mere medium. So that's that post. Um, obviously, I talked a lot more than what's actually written the post, uh, written in the post, but that's the gist of it. Um, it's called The Real Internet of Things. Um, and um, I plan on doing a number of talks based on this. My RSA talk, I actually put some of this in the beginning of it and then moved right into the more tactical stuff around securing IoT devices. And I'm not sure how much of that was picked up on or appreciated, but hopefully someone got off on it. But um, yeah, so that's that. Oh, so coming out of that, the next post um, I did, which was actually before this, was called the IoT security broker concept. And so going back to this thing I just talked about, what, what about the idea of... Uh, all these interactions, right? You have all these daemons, you have all these personal assistants reading the daemons, and most importantly, you have all these entities sending post requests to all these daemons, all these APIs, to have the world adjust around you. That door is opening because you submitted a post request, right? You're asking for what you look like from above, from five different angles, and you wanna see video, smooth streaming video of that. Well, that's because, and you suddenly see it on your mobile device because your personal device just submitted post requests to these 19 cameras that are above you in the city and they're now watching you and sending you the sending you the video feed well that required the post request that required the id that you have um that required um you to submit content to that device to to those devices and the question becomes, well, you know, if, if the tech isn't changing that much, which I don't think it will, I think IP will win and REST will win. Can I attack that REST interface? Can I confuse it? Can I uh, take it offline by denial servicing it in some sort of way? Um, can I replay someone else's request? Um, what happens if I make a request in Times Square for a selfie from some uh, camera that's across the street. And um, I make that request at the same time someone is walking into the Louvre in, uh, in Paris and they're using my ID as well. Which will the Louvre or the camera in New York, in the Times Square will they know, hey, wait a minute, actually, you just made a request from your exact same ID in two different geographical locations is physically impossible. One or both of them are fraudulent, therefore denied access, right? What is the fabric? What is the infrastructure that is doing input validation on all these requests, plus security intelligence, um, plus, you know, replay defense, like all, all these various sorts of attacks. So I came up with the idea of a security broker, which basically sits between all of the, these requests to anything, right? 
this is universal demonization. So it's like every daemon that's taking in requests needs to be able to siphon off those requests to some sort of universal filter. Um, now, if, is that a cloud-based filter that is updated constantly and it's sort of universal and strong? I think that's the best way to do it. And it probably will become the standard and there probably will be you know two or three good standards to use. Um, but of course you have latency there, you know, you have to go to the cloud. There will probably be some, at least initially, and probably even long-term, some local options as well, where you have local input validation, some basic comparison for fraud and that kind of stuff. But you have to do something. That's the point. You have to do something if you're capturing, if you if you're flowing through all these requests, I mean, it's just going to be an attacker's dream to be able to walk down the street and spoof people's identities and do input validation, um, you know, pretend to be someone else and you walk into the club and get table service and, you know, whatever. It, it's ripe for attack, right? So the, the security component is going to be essential. Um, just did a post a couple days ago on uh, Give Talks. Basically, a lot of us give talks um, on InfoSec, right? Uh, I just did this one at RSA, and I, whatever. I've, I've done a number of talks over the last few years. Um, and pretty much all of them have been InfoSec. And I have so many other interests. Like, I like philosophy. I like politics. I like just thinking about how the world works and finding patterns and talking about those patterns and you know, just talking about interesting stuff. I have so many friends that are into like software-defined radio and, you know, brewing beer and all this kind of stuff. And they're the same. I got these friends and they're into these things and they give talks about InfoSec, but they don't give talks about anything else, right? So I just did a post basically saying, look, public speaking is a mechanism for enhancing thought, right? That's what I like about writing. Writing forces you to think forces you to have, have a good idea and, and to organize it into a way that you can convey it to someone else and hopefully convince them, right? So writing helps thought. Presenting basically is an execution or a, a performance of writing, right? So it's powerful and we should be doing it with a lot more than just work, right? Because the world deserves to hear, create content about more than just something that makes someone else money, right? Let's use our public presentation skills and abilities to further the world in, in more than a way that's just, you know, dollars and cents related. Um, ad companies can't do privacy. Oh yeah, this is a big one. So um, I just did a post, uh, uh, I don't know, a few weeks ago basically saying that um, <laughs> I, I was basically bothered by the fact that I have so many friends who are into Google um, and they hate Apple. They absolutely hate them. They're, they're usually in the, in the Southeast actually, and they just hate California in general. They hate liberals. Um, they hate Apple because they're California liberals and they just see them kind of as like the antichrist of like technology. And their savior from that is the openness and freedom of Google. So they go rushing into the arms of Google and they're like, ah, oh, finally I get freedom. 
and I can have swipe screens and I have customizable interfaces. And I'm like, dude, you seriously realize how like crazy that is? Um, it's, it's all about the business model, right? Because they're worried about privacy. They're worried about freedom. They're worried about these things. But the situation is exactly the opposite for these two companies. You know, say what you will about Apple. I mean, they think highly of themselves. They could be extremely arrogant. They can be closed. And a lot of this is what puts my friends off, right? Un- understandably so. But Apple doesn't want your data. They don't care about it. They don't make money off of it. It's not their business. They want to show, sell you shiny things. Um, and if they're pulling any of your data, they, one, want to encrypt it, not give it away. And increasingly, they just don't want it in the first place. Google and Facebook, on the other hand, go away completely as a business if they don't have your data. And not only if they don't have it, but if they don't sell it. So their entire business model is to sell your data. Yet people are going to Google over Apple because they want freedom. And the fundamental post or idea concept of the post was if a company makes its money by selling your data, then they cannot be in support of your privacy. So it doesn't matter if they put out a privacy statement that says, hey, we are very cautious about, you know, blah, blah, we believe strongly in your privacy. What the hell does that mean if their whole mission in life is to sell your data? Like, it's just insanity. So that was kind of my point there. Um, And it it doesn't just apply to Google and Apple. Um, And like I said in the post, Apple's not a saint and Google's not evil. You just have to look at the business models and see which one supports your actual goals. Um, All right. Well, I think that's mostly it. Final point here. I got a site that I want to recommend. Pretty cool stuff. Um, actually talks about a lot of the same stuff that I'm interested in. Uh, my buddy Joel Parrish recommended it. It's um, Stratechery. So almost like Strategery. I imagine that's the thing they're doing here. But uh, yeah, Stratechery. So T-E-C-H-E-R-Y, Techery. And then Strat in the front, like strategy. So uh, very cool site. Uh, I recommend subscribing. And um I'll sign off here. See you guys next week.